0: That's www.activeskinrepair.com, code VILLAGE for 20% off your order. You're listening to Voices of Your Village, and I have such a special episode today. I get to bring you Lauren Stobble. Lauren is the co-creator of the Collaborative Emotion Processing Method, and she's my co-author of Tiny Humans, Big Emotions. We got to dive into what the SEP method is, why we don't believe in a one-size-fits-all approach, and walk you through like what does it look like a little bit in practice, give you insight and really a sneak peek into the kind of stuff that you'll find in the book. We co-created the Collaborative Emotion Processing Method and researched it across the U.S., our research ended in 2018, and we've been working on putting together the data in a comprehensive guide to raising emotionally intelligent humans for you, and it is here. We are publishing Tiny Humans, Big Emotions on October 10th with Harvest Books, just part of HarperCollins, and are so, so excited for it to come to you. I am reading the audiobook, so if you're an audiobook listener, It'll be your girl here reading to you, and you can access the book and purchase it at slash book. You can reach out to your local library and ask them to carry it. You can connect with your child's uh, child care program and ask them to have a copy or share a copy with teachers. Feel free to share it with friends, with um, siblings, with anyone who is engaging with your tiny human. We go to seedandso.org book and you order. If you order before our publication date, before October 10th, we are going to send you free goodies. So You go right back there after you order and let us know your name, your email, and your order number, and we will send you some bonus things that you can dive into right away. Before we dive in, let me give you a little background on Lauren. Lauren and I were co-teachers uh, starting back in 2016. Lauren Stavl has worked with children ages birth to five in childcare centers, as well as in her home for 16 years before moving into program administration and now in higher education. In 2018, we created the SEP method. It's a tool for developing emotional intelligence. And she's currently the department chair of early childhood education at Bunker Hill Community College in Boston. She partners with Angela Garcia of Engage, Feel, Think, Connect, where they offer workshops and consultation in early childhood education. They host a podcast together called Sacred Reclaiming Intuitive Teaching and Caregiving Relationships. Lauren's work evolves daily and is the result of 20 years of practice, which includes healing-centered education, emergent curriculum, anti-bias education, community activism, in-depth study and personal practice of yoga, meditation, psychology coursework, mindfulness-based therapy, and being raised by a mother with a healthy sense of agency. She's interested in deepening her understanding and expertise of collaboration as an essential tool in education and how the presence of emotional intelligence in the group enhances the process. In between, she enjoys spending time with dear ones in the mountains, in the tropics, around the fire, and in their kitchens. And she has just been a dream to work with. She challenges my brain in beautiful ways, and I'm really, really excited to be able to and Tiny Human's Big Emotions over to you as the reader now. All right, folks, let's dive in. Hey there, I'm Alyssa Blass Campbell. I'm a mom with a master's degree in early childhood education and co-creator of the Collaborative Emotion Processing Method. I'm here to walk alongside you through the messy, vulnerable parts of being humans raising other humans with deep thoughts and actionable tips. Let's dive in together. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Voices of Your Village. I get to hang out with a longtime pal, someone I've known since before C existed. I get to bring you Lauren Stobble. Lauren is the co-creator of the Collaborative Emotion Processing Method. She is my co-author for Tiny Humans, Big Emotions, there is none of this for me and with you all without Lauren. Lauren is such a key player in all of this, and I'm jazzed to get to hang with you today, Lauren.
1: Hey, I am so excited to play <laughs> <laughs> to play
0: yeah we we get with writing the book, there's been so many logistics and so much work and all that jazz. and now we get to play. Okay. <laughs> what a gift. Um when we were creating the set method, I think for both of us, I don't know that we en- we went into it trying to create our own method as yeah. much as like, for me, I was like, let's find the framework that really aligns with what we're doing. And as we were looking through it and reading research and diving into what existed, we were like, wait, uh, it doesn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh so for us or at least on my end I feel like it was kind of um an accident to stumble into creating the set method uh and a privilege to get to take it to where it is now
1: yeah I I feel the same way um I remember you presented to we all took turns presenting to our staff um and I was like There is something about this, and I didn't know you very well yet. Yeah. Um, And then our supervisor asked us to to pair up with somebody on staff, so we did that. I was like, Alyssa, (laughs) let's pair up. And so even though you were working with infants and I was teaching preschool, um, I was just like, wow, like there, this feels like home. This feels familiar. And um, I was like, there's something here. And like you, right? We were like, okay, let's find the research to back up what we're doing. (laughs) We were Mm -hmm.
0: like, huh, okay, let's do the research. (laughs) Yeah. Turns out it doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. And like, what a cool process. And let's break down what the SEP method is. Because there's probably folks tuning in who have heard me say this or have seen about it on our social and are like, wait hook a sister up hook a brother up what is the step method you keep mentioning it I don't know what it is Mm -hmm.
1: I think for me um something
0: so right everybody
1: wants to be like how do I interact with kids tell me how to (laughs) tell me how to teach watch you know when I observe my practicum students and they're like just tell me what I need to do better as they're interacting with kids and um I think that the like even before diving into the different components of SEP like first off it's like just take a breath (laughs) okay let's see what's going on with me um you know where am I at in as a human not even as a teacher like before I go into my teacher mind um because that's how I came into this work through teaching um before I even do that be like whoa what's going on with me um as as a first step and for me in in my you know my learnings and practice it's that that comes from mindfulness and contemplative practice um, that uh, that invited me to to do that to slow down and I couldn't do that at the beginning even when we were starting to practice this this was um you know we did action research because we got to be part of it (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, and to see what that feels like to be more present so I think that's probably one of the most important parts of it. Something that felt different for me and that, that I'd still teach about now, even when um, I'm hanging out with my students.
0: Sure. And I think that that's huge. It's the same thing with our parenting community and caregivers is it's the like, what do I say to this kid? What do I do right now with this kid? And it starts with us. And I found for myself as a teacher there was so much focused on the kid and what to do, what to say, what not to do. Like, say, I'm sorry, don't say, I'm sorry, do this X, Y, and Z. And it all sounded great when I'm sitting in a workshop or I'm sitting in professional development or I'm reading that book or I'm tuning into this podcast. And it sounds great in theory. And I'm like, yeah, that's in alignment. Yep, makes sense. And then I'd be in the moment and this one year old slaps me across the face, or they throw something, and I can't access that language in that moment or those tools. And now I'm in a triggered state. And I kept feeling like I was failing because I was getting triggered. And I was like, oh, like in my head a good teacher or a good parent wasn't going to get triggered by that behavior. They're going to be able to be calm and regulated and respond with these perfect words. And this for me was like a real driving force in then developing our work was learning how to do it myself (laughs) and how to slow down and find that pause and get to regulation, and allow myself to experience triggers without shame or judgment.
1: Mm-hmm. I I think that's the hardest thing. It and we have you know we we if you take classes and you study education, right? um It is it's really impossible to learn to practice <laughs> from reading. It's just you know you have to learn to practice by practicing, and. Um, The year that we taught in the same center, um, one of the years we taught in the same center, was extremely transformative for me as I was learning how to do this work. And it keeps coming up in my other conversations and my thinking about my practice, about how intertwined children's development and my own is and was especially during that (laughs) formative time. Um, Because I think, you know, when we're studying, as you were just talking about, right, there it it makes it seem like okay just do this Mm -hmm. and and that's gonna work for everybody
0: but yeah
1: (laughs) that but it doesn't work for everybody right there are just as many different kinds of children as there are different kinds of adults um because we all grow up Um, and I think that was part like being able to pause and see like whoa what's going on with me so that I can see more clearly the child in front of me Um, Yeah. To say like, oh, okay, now that I know what's going on with me, what's going on with you? (laughs) Right. You know, what what does this feel like for you? What is what does this feel like for the other child that we're, you know, interacting with right now? Um, And there's just. And it does not feel comfortable. I think that, Mm -hmm. you know, you talked about like, wait, maybe this shouldn't be. Maybe this means I'm not a good teacher. Maybe this means I'm not a good parent parents said to me you're so calm all the time and I was like what
0: <laughs> really
1: and I was like okay so what they mean is you seem calm all the time <laughs>
0: <laughs> or when I see you at a pickup and drop off you seem calm I had a parent who was like how are you so chill all the time and I was like oh because you're seeing me for five minutes like come back at like 10 30 when we're trying to get in from outside and kids are getting hungry and it's a zoo and yeah no
1: (laughs) I guess that's you know that thing is um that is what Sep is right that is like okay that thing is real and Mm -hmm. that thing is the work I've been, you know, we wrote about transitions because and it may seem um, as, as an aside from emotion processing, but the more I think about transitions and especially experiencing some right now in my life, um, I love the quote from William Bridges um, transitions are when we're most fully alive mm. because we're so vulnerable, like we're redefining ourselves in a moment where, say, a child is um, moving from being an only child to being a big sister. That mm-hmm. is a huge identity shift uh, mm-hmm. in relationship with the world, uh, and even for parents going from you know having one child to two children.
0: Buckle up, Alyssa. For- buckle up. <laughs> right,
1: right? Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> even from a teacher moving to an administrative position, it's it's sure. a huge. But that time is so rich if we go in. It's the same with big emotions, which are really associated with transitions. Um, but that is such a fertile place. There's so much development that can happen there. We're open to it. it takes a lot of energy to resist a transition, right? Yeah. Um, and it takes a lot of energy to move through it, you know, and feel sure. it, and do it. Um, but I think that that is, that is a, almost a liberatory experience, I think, when we practice SEP.
0: I think SEP really taught me how to be in things, right? Like how to allow and experience things. I'm really good at either problem solving or running away, right? Like so good. When COVID started and I was in the midst of a miscarriage that was really hard and then, you know, life was just kind of upended COVID wise. I was like, let's move to Maine. Right. And I'm like looking for houses and like, because surely I won't be feeling what I'm feeling right now if I live in Maine. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm like, I'm so, I studied abroad when I was 15 years old, read, run, ran away from what I was feeling at 15 years old. I was like, maybe if I'm in Austria, I won't feel what I'm feeling. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, not consciously, but I'm, I'm so good at, running away Mm -hmm. and, um, and dissociating and disconnecting. And it is a practice for me to stay in something and to allow it. And Sage has been a really good teacher for me as a parent too. He just started saying, I'm having a really hard time with this and it'll be different things whether it's like putting the top on something or yesterday we were in the car and he wanted to be out (laughs) and he said I'm having a really hard time with this and I said what's going on and he said being in the car I don't want to be in the car and just allowing that hard time uh, and he's kids are good at it (laughs) and (laughs) Like if I don't step in and pull him out of the hard time, which is, that's for me, the hard work It's like, yeah, it makes sense to have a hard time. Your body wants to move. And we have five more minutes in the car. It's so hard to wait. And like allowing that and validating that in that space without trying to fix it or distract him out or come up with a solution. Sep has allowed me to be in it and allowed me to let him have a hard time.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Right. Because he's, this is not the last time he's going to have a hard time. <laughs> right.
0: It would be so lovely. If it
1: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and it's right. That's, it's interesting. I never thought about that. Right. That's our hard time in that moment. It's like, yeah. it's It's hard that this baby is suffering right now, you know, mm-hmm. or experiencing pain right now, um, which is inevitable, an inevitable part of being human. But that, that is how like our, you know, learning is is wrapped up in theirs, and this is a gift for for us to have children in our lives. <laughs> yeah, that um, they invite us to to do that. Um, and I think you're getting at the self awareness piece. Yeah. Too is um, it takes a lot of courage to hear our thoughts, and mm. uh, feel our resistance, and notice when it comes up. Um, and it's so mindfulness is that noticing and what's next right okay so i noticed that my instinct and i am like you like let me just push that thing away and let's do this (sighs) other thing over here surely i'm not going to feel this over there (laughs) um yeah that resonated with me um so where the next step self-awareness is like oh here's that thing again i know that part of me uh okay hey that part of me (laughs) um Mm -hmm what's coming up for you? And okay, you're welcome here. But let's see, you know, do I need to do this right now? Is this serving me right now? Is this serving the child's development right now? Is this serving our relationship in any way? Um, and if it's not just saying, okay, I have a special place for you. And, um, but I'm not going to take action right now. Because that's my instinct is to take action. But yeah. and maybe for people who are like, I don't want to do any, I can't do anything. This is awful. I can't do anything. I'm frozen. For the, for that group, it's more like, okay, usually this is what I do. I just stay right here and, and kind of um, create a, a barrier of safety for myself. But what if I actually just stepped out a little bit? to try something different this time is so scary it mm-hmm. is so scary because this this is how our brain was built as little yeah. as this let's you know, give an example to
0: walk through um so that it's not I think I feel like for my brain I need a concrete example right of like mm. um there are two kids in conflict and one the conflict is that somebody came over and like hit the other one right don't say younger to older. A, young, a toddler comes over to a preschooler and um, maybe in an effort to play, right? Maybe whatever. We don't know. But like comes over and pushes or like knocks down their tower or takes their toy. And now the preschooler screaming. And
1: I mean, maybe adding in again, took their toy or knocked down the structure again, even. That's a moment sure. where I would feel triggered and say like, oh, <laughs> we've done this already. And yeah. so I might even, this happened at the beginning of my career. Okay, now I, I'm i like taking, it, this is like personal between me and the child that knocked <laughs> over the structure again. And it just, it's so easy to forget that this is a, a, a new being. <laughs> even a three-year-old is a new being in the world yeah. compared to me. <laughs> and that yeah. was in my uh, 20s at the time. But um, I really thought it was personal. Sure. And so but of course, I thought it was personal, because at, in our adult interactions, sometimes it is personal. Um, but and depending on and what how we were as children with other children, right? I was a very shy child. And I was, you know, I was not a child who knocked things over. I was probably the child whose thing was knocked over. And I just sure. kind of didn't want to make a big deal. And um, so in that moment, I'm like trying to serve justice for the child yeah. who's been har- harmed in some way um by this knocking over of the thing. Okay, so if I say, whoa, let me just take a breath here. Uh, what's going on for me? Wow, that's an interesting story that's going on in my mind right now. And it's familiar. I've heard this one before. <laughs> um, is this my stunning? like
0: phrase has been like what I'm feeling. Like I'm mad at a three-year-old right now. And when I say that to myself or like, I want to fight a 20 month old right now, when I say it to myself, like, what am I really experiencing inside? When I can say it inside, it is helpful for me of like, okay, when I say that phrase, it feels a little bonkers, right? I'm mid thirties and I want to fight a 20 month old. Like I'm like, okay, this maybe there isn't rationale yet happening in this moment. I'm not in a space to respond. Is really what it does for me. But like, just that sentence of like, I'm mad at a three-year-old.
1: <laughs> yeah, it allows you you to hear yourself, right? Mm-hmm. To hear hear what you're experiencing, and then to say like, oh, that doesn't really sound rational. <laughs> or like that sounds like an old wound coming up for me right mm-hmm. now. So like, okay that old wound is real I don't I'm not going to work totally. with it right now because now is not the time I'm, I'm taking care of these children so I'm not going to forget about it and just push it away I'm just going to put it to the side while I'm teaching and then be like okay what just happened right now I can be present with the children and see that the child whose thing got knocked over well in your scenario was the child whose thing got knocked over screaming or was it the other mm-hmm. child
0: the child whose thing got knocked over screaming and in my scenario I would actually have the toddler who knocked it over is like laughing or smiling oh yeah (laughs) that's even better (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. yeah yeah. it just it it's it feels so personal like yeah they're doing this on purpose and they're taking pleasure right so okay sure maybe that's happening but it's not helpful to start there. Let's start with, okay, somebody's experiencing something big right now. Let's zoom in there. Uh, what are you experiencing? And um, and how can I help you move through it to develop your skills? We mm-hmm. don't need this other person to help you develop your skills. <laughs> we Let's just be present with you. And if we need their help to understand what happened, or to communicate about it afterwards, depending on what this child needs, who's screaming, then I'll figure that out as we go. Sure. Uh, but if I can't do that, if I'm still, if I still am focused on serving justice to the child who knocked the structure over. Right. I'm like yeah. just being, a, a, I guess I was going to say mama bear, but in that case I was a teacher there, I guess. <laughs> sure. But, um, so Yeah. Well, because then you're protecting, at good. least
0: for me, like, I, my brother is five years older than I am and, or four years older than I am. And there were a lot of times growing up where he would do something. I'm walking down the stairs and he hip checks me into a wall whatever. I'm like, mom, Andrew hip check me. Or like, he d- says something and he's being snappy or sarcastic. And I would be like, mom, help. And she would just say, just ignore him. And so I consistently in childhood felt like, no, like ignoring him is somebody needs to tell Andrew to not be a jerk to me like maybe if we teach Andrew to not be a jerk I wouldn't have to deal with this and so in the moment with that like three-year-old and toddler I'm the three-year-old and this toddler is Andrew and like justice needs to be served for it's tiny human Alyssa right like it's not even about them anymore (laughs) right it's tiny human Alyssa
1: yep and that great tiny human Alyssa deserves to um be paid attention to um totally right and just just figuring out the context the right context Um, yeah and it's learning that I
0: can that's exactly it I can like (laughs) teach those same things and how do I how do I teach these things to the children And it's not in the moment that I'm going to do that right now. And it's not through justice being served, which is what tiny human Alyssa really felt like should happen, (laughs) right? In terms of like, what's going to be most effective, but that still surfaces in the moment. And that's where, where you were saying, like setting that aside for now is helpful. Like, yes, tiny human Alyssa we will help this child develop some tools so that they don't grow up to be jerk Andrew who (laughs) is (laughs) being rude to you all the time or to these other kids all the time.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, but being able to set that aside of like, I hear you, we are totally gonna address that. Right now, I'm gonna deal with this and we'll come back to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that
1: that takes practice. That is the thing Mm -hmm. that takes practice. And we're talking about, kids self-regulating and we I mean we really want kids to learn emotion processing skills you know side by side with self-regulation but they're not going to learn that if we don't demonstrate it Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that's another key that's why we start with us right Mm -hmm. we kids learn most kids learn the most through watching us Mm -hmm. and so uh, we you know, we can say all kinds of, my mom was the, the one who said like, do what I say, not what I do. Sure. Um, she, she would not wear a bike helmet, but she was like, you need to wear your bike helmet. <laughs> and I did wear a bike helmet, but, um, but I think, but it was hard because I was like, well, how come she doesn't have to wear right? Mm-hmm. So it's much easier to learn when this is the culture of the place. This is mm-hmm. the culture of our family. Um, this is how we do it together, and not to say that we do it perfectly. To say it's okay totally. to make mistakes sometimes, um, and we can we can move through that together. You know that yeah. that's not a deal breaker. Making mistakes that's a as part of this, another chance for us to to practice again.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Brad. So now we're on uh, what we've covered here. I feel like just a couple of components of this that method that have come up. We have self awareness. We have some bias coming up in this moment here is we have uncovering implicit bias is another one of the components of the step method and we might notice some in this moment of even those like the the parts of us that surface from childhood like those are really key for learning about biases too like I now have certain thoughts about who this child needs to be otherwise they're going to become Andrew right like and poor Andrew, like he has turned out, he's doing great at this point. We have a, a lovely <laughs> 30 something year old relationship going on. Uh, but it, yeah, in, it, it's going to be tiny human Andrew who doesn't have these skills, right? Like noticing those things, we, we have some bias coming up here. And then looking at the scientific knowledge part of this. Can you break down for folks what we're looking at with scientific knowledge and how it might be at play here?
1: Oh, yeah. So um, if we think about, well, what I'm thinking about now is scientific knowledge and the concepts of implicit bias. And the, the the ladder of inference is that that information is coming around. So people might have heard that about that before. But in that case, um, if we think about, you know, you coming as a teacher and, you know, tiny human Alyssa coming up in that moment, um, if you are assuming based on the child who's laughing. That means that child did that on purpose. Mm-hmm. If I start there, every the story that happens after that could be completely incorrect if that first rung of the ladder is not true. Mm-hmm. And if i'm in if my nervous system is activated, my amygdala, survival mode is there, I'm, you know, my um my childhood self might be in the driver's seat in that moment because Hmm. this is how I learned to protect myself as a child. So if I get to the first rung of the ladder and my nervous system is activated like that, this is just not going to go in a way that supports children's development or our own.
0: Yeah, or our ability to connect with that child in the moment.
1: Yeah, right. Because the latter takes us further and further away from them. Mm -hmm. So that pausing piece is so important for our nervous system regulation, because when amygdala is important, right, it's we... Mm -hmm. There would be no humans if there was no amygdala because it's our it's the way we 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 don't die.
0: <laughs> yeah, <it> keeps us <laughs> alive.
1: Something, right? Yeah, um, and so we need that. But we also need the prefrontal cortex that comes online to say like, oh hey, let's stop and analyze this moment. Uh, let's look at the clues. Let's put together the puzzle pieces. Let's reflect a little bit uh, about what I know from before <laughs> when I wasn't triggered. <laughs> And so if we get those two parts of our brain talking to each other, then that will, that will serve everybody in the moment because we might need to have a heightened nervous system, something, somebody might be about to get hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we can be alert, we can be paying attention, but we also need that other part of our brain. Um, we need to be having those two parts talking to each other in order to, you know, have a conversation, totally. <laughs> uh, figure out what's going on.
0: Yeah. Um, um, so we have that scientific knowledge part. we really, we in the set method, dive into like, what is happening with the nervous system? And I think of this kind of like, just, I was just on a work trip and I got this video of Sage and he is just like belly laughing. I will send it to you. It is just the most delicious sound. I actually, I think, for the sake of mirror neurons, let me see if I can pull it up. There. Yeah, awesome. uh, And every time I watched that video while I was gone, I was just like smiling and f- like fully feeling joy. Here's the song. <laughs> He like laughs so hard he's coughing, and it gets me every time. And when I think of mirror neurons, like lately, that one comes up for me. Of like, oh, like it's contagious that feeling. Mm. But feelings are contagious, Mm. which means that when that child's screaming, or the other child's losing it, or somebody's crying your nervous system reacts to that.
1: Mm-hmm. And it should, right? Mm-hmm. Something is wrong, right? right. And that, that's why we get activated. It And it really matters, right? Who is in the driver's seat in that moment? Because if it's um, adult Alyssa in the driver's seat, that vehicle is going a certain way sure Um, and so recognizing when that's happening that takes practice recognizing when you get triggered and then even I don't want anybody to think like oh I just learned that if I get triggered I can calm myself down because that's not
0: (laughs) good Um, luck also can you just teach me how to always do that
1: (laughs) right so it really is it, it takes some experimentation it mm-hmm. it happens it is so um there's a plateau in learning because you could experience your own trigger it might take a couple of months of experiencing your own trigger and that's very that's hard um and and we recommend right making yeah. sure that you have a support system so that um for me i love therapy um and yeah in certain social groups that, you know, allow me to feel how I'm feeling (laughs) as I'm feeling it. Um, And so whatever people's practice is, wherever they're, and sometimes it's not with other people. Maybe it's, um, it's doing something by yourself that that's more nurturing to allow yourself to be with feeling triggered.
0: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash voices today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P com slash voices. Having Sage approved audio for our car rides is a literal lifesaver for my nervous system. And I love making lists of podcasts to share with him when he's ready. I was so excited to hear about a new show called Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M A T H, math, geared toward the six plus crowd. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time traveling adventures. Recently, we had some family visiting, and on our way to dinner, we popped on an episode of Mysteries About True Histories, math, with my niece and nephew in the car. In this episode, Max and Molly travel back in time to solve a mystery from the order of the problem solvers, along with lots of kid humor mixed in. It was a fun way to enjoy our car ride together and opened the door for some interesting conversation about history and understanding some of the mysteries of the past. Episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, the perfect length for car rides and mealtimes and stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Have you ever been like scrolling the internet and there's all these like tools for calming your child and how to regulate and whatever, and you try them and your child just gets amped up or that doesn't work, or you find yourself in these cycles where it's like epic meltdown, try to come back from it, and you just feel like you're putting out fires all day long. If this is you, you aren't alone, and we collaborated with an occupational therapist to create our sensory profile quiz. This is going to help you learn about what helps your child regulate, what's happening in their unique nervous system. We are all different in figuring out what you're sensitive to or what helps you regulate is the key for actually doing this work, for getting to a regulated state, for having tools for calming down, for having tools for regulation. Head on over www.seedquiz.com to take the quiz for free. You can take it as many times as you like for as many humans as you'd like. And we will deliver results right to your inbox to get you kickstarted on this journey. Seedquiz.com. Yeah. Um in our in our book i think it's in chapter 3 in part 1 we dive in deep into the nervous system and like what's happening and how we all have unique nervous systems which is why a one size fits all approach doesn't work because each of us is different and um how are you were talking before about like Some people, they're going to go into that freeze mode and they're going to kind of shut down and they can't take action. And Other people, you might be like, oh, I'm a yeller. Like I, my nervous system reaction is to yell and to kind of fight and get in that fight mode and that we're all going to have different reactions. To triggers and none of them are right or wrong or good or bad, but we all have different reactions to different triggers and that our nervous system is going to need different things both throughout the day, kind of proactively, but then also reactively in the moment to calm, to regulate, to find that regulation again. And what works really well for my husband is the opposite of what works really well for me. And it wasn't until like we learned with our unique nervous systems, what helps us regulate again, throughout the day, kind of proactively but also in the moment, um, what does that look like? It wasn't until then that I could really hone skills for regulation.
1: Mm, yeah, absolutely. i I, th- I think this also comes into implicit bias when we're thinking about culture and even um multicultural families might experience this where um and ultimately anybody, I mean, you know, even if you have a share a social identity, you might have been raised in slightly, slightly different cultures or very different cultures when it comes to emotions, right? Um, I think one of the things that struck me the most when we started studying emotions is that there we used to think, right, that that there is this set of universal emotions that everybody in the world experiences, that all humans experience. But that those initial studies turned out only to prove that humans can learn emotion concepts so quickly, like even at the beginning of a study with researchers, Mm -hmm. humans who have had no exposure to um, talking about emotions can learn how to talk about emotions and identify images, pictures like that. So that's helpful information, right? That humans can learn emotion concepts. But that you know, sometimes people worry, like, am I teaching the right emotion or, um, sure. but you actually, you actually know more about emotions than the, this baby does. So, um, you can teach what you know about emotions and this actually serves attachment. This is, this makes a stronger attachment because if my baby learns how to communicate to me about how they're feeling, one of the things I'm sure that your community will smile to hear me say this but I know that you use the word jazzed (laughs) when you're (laughs) excited about something and so I bet Sage uses the word jazzed (laughs) to and you know some other families The child would have no idea what that means (laughs) that's okay because his parents are like yeah I feel jazzed too (laughs) and so totally or or like I feel I one of the the things that I kids are our best mirrors, right? So one of the things I realized I had been saying to my students was, oh, that's a bummer. Sage
2: <laughs> like, says one, it now too. <laughs> one
1: of my students one day was like, what's a bummer? <laughs> I was like, oh, thank you for reflecting that back to me. That that's my culture. That yeah. is your family culture. And so that word doesn't really mean anything to you. I can define it for you. And now you have a more sure. granular um yeah. and emotional vocabulary. Um But that piece is really important. And also the way that we express emotion through our bodies and our, you know, people misinterpret other people's emotional expression all the time. Sure. Like even in our most intimate, maybe especially in our most intimate relationships, because all we have is our own experience to interpret what's happening. So, you know, we have to be open to, I might not understand what's happening right now. Right. (laughs) Um, especially when we're in a classroom of uh, students who are, have different cultures from us, or if we're in a relationship, Um, and if our child is, is bicultural, that matters, that, that means our child might communicate differently with one parent than they do with another when it comes to emotions, and that's okay, that's welcome, that is, um, that's good for our brains to have that kind of granularity
0: Totally. And I think it's one of those things where you kind of fine tune. I think about this with language in general, that uh, we were talking about food the other day and Sage said, oh, that's a crunchy food. And I was like, oh, I didn't realize he, had, he knew crunchy food and that adjective. And um, But we have exposed him to that word apparently enough times it's like, oh, this is really crunchy. And it's how we'll like talk about food a lot of the times rather than like, can you please take a bite of this? I'm like, oh my gosh, wow. I just took a bite of this and it's so crunchy or this is, this one's really salty or whatever, just talking about food. And he tends to be then um, more engaged in it. But he said that word and it was one of those reminders to me of like, oh yeah, he knows that word because he's heard that word. And I think with emotions, this comes up. And he he had been in a, a stage a little while ago where he was saying nervous a lot, like that he was nervous about things. And so I started to like pause and be like, is he really nervous or is he starting to experience other emotions he doesn't have language for yet. And so I started to get curious with him, sometimes in the moment, but a lot outside of it where I'd be like reading a book and I would say like, oh, wow, that person looks really overwhelmed. They just walked into that space and all those people are there and there's so much going on and there's music. And I look at their face and pointing out things I notice in their body language. I'm wondering if they're feeling overwhelmed. And then before we knew it, like overwhelmed started to come up for him. He left his own birthday party saying he was feeling overwhelmed. <laughs> like he, uh, it, like it, for me, I was like, oh, he needs more emotions at this point, right? More emotion concepts need to be introduced. He's hit the like top of the vocab. He's nailed these vocab words that we've essentially thrown his way. He's like, I don't have the right word for this, but I'm having a feeling. And here's a, Feeling word that I know (laughs) and as we start to expose more to him and a another thought I just had I had a toddler when we were doing the research actually I was in a toddler room and I had said something about her seeming sad or whatever and she yelled I'm not sad I'm mad And I was like great right like as they're exposed to more and more words and emotion concepts and also those the feelings of it inside and what that feels like for them they'll start to correct us and they'll start to be able to say like, no, this isn't what I'm feeling. I'm feeling this other thing, but we have to introduce them to those concepts in the first place. Otherwise there's not a toolbox to pull from there.
1: And assume, I think a pl- implicit bias comes in here too, with our own, our own experiences of emotion. Um, kids, if your own kids can experience emotions differently For some people, anger is really hard and for others, they can handle anger. It's not a big deal. It's just going to blow over. They just need to express themselves. For some people, sadness is like a deep hole that they need help getting out of. Mm -hmm. Um, And other people, sadness is like, no problem. I'm just going to cry it out (laughs) That's and then be able to move on. So I think sometimes we can start to um, think that somebody else is going to experience things the way we do, which yeah. you know we can make some space for them and and actually pay attention to observe, to see what do they do with that word I just offered them? Like, does even the infants, um, does their body relax in some way? Um, does their, does their facial expression change? Um, and, you know, matching that up with what you know about this per- and in the beginning of the year, that is the most rich time. I guess that's yeah. transition again, right? Of like, ooh, okay, who's this human? Um, let's totally. find out what our relationship is. Uh, yeah. As it as it, happens, as it unfolds.
0: Yeah, that is such a good point of like our experience. It's so, I mean, as a parent, as a teacher, as a human ever interacting with kids, it's so hard not to project your own experience onto another human in general yeah. in life. And I, we're not supposed to do it perfectly. We're not going to do it perfectly. But the more we draw attention to it, the more you might start to notice some of those patterns of like, oh yeah, fear is hard for me, but they seem to actually be doing fine with it. They're not spiraling into anxiety in the way that I do they're okay with it. It's me who's feeling anxious about them feeling scared (laughs) and (laughs) worried that they're going to feel anxious. Exactly. Um, Yeah. And that is way easier to see from the outside. Oh (laughs) gosh. Yeah. It
1: can be helpful (laughs) to have a partner in this and it might not even be your partner. Um, it Mm -hmm. might be a friend or a colleague or, um, you know, another dear one who you trust. And also, just want to mention when we're thinking about implicit bias, a lot of people. I think it's good that we're all thinking about this these days. But when it comes to social identity, like color of somebody's skin, even or their gender, um, or even their religion and uh, or their culture, it's important for us to pause and realize if we are if we're not open to allowing somebody to feel what they're feeling, it might be might be connected to their social identity and mm-hmm. we could sh- we might even share the social identity with this person but it historically hasn't been safe for people to feel and express things in every body mm-hmm. and so um it doesn't mean we're bad if that happens um but we have to be on the lookout for it and that's the uncovering implicit bias piece does not mean you're bad <laughs> means Yeah. You're- raised in this society and we're we're working on it. A lot of people are really diligently working on it. Um, But we should do that in partnership too. Um, Yeah. I take that. And and with support.
0: Mm -hmm. I take that. So we have briefly touched on adult child interactions and we can finish up this example in a minute. Um, But then we've talked about implicit bias, we've talked about self-awareness, we've talked about scientific knowledge. And we have self-care, which is so buzzwordy, right? (laughs) It's so buzzwordy and it can feel luxurious, I think Mm. at times. And for us, when we're looking at self-care, we are looking at all the ways that we truly just take care of ourselves, take care of our nervous system. And I was just having a chat with um, one of my best friends this morning. She's a mom of two and has really gotten into a habit and pattern that I think a lot of us in caregiving can find where we come last. We come last. And so now it's at this place where it's like you're just operating from this place of burnout and you're stuck in cycles of reactivity and learning how to say, taking care of myself matters for me and for the people around me. Uh, both what I'm modeling to the kids around me about my own value and worth uh, Mm -hmm. and also my ability to show up with the people around me Uh, and I, I think for a lot of humans in a caregiving space this one can feel really uncomfortable
1: absolutely and so the the state of early childhood education right now really matters where you work whether self-care is promoted or not um, and whether it's modeled even by administrators and um, Mm -hmm. uh, so one of my students was talking about you know she's working full-time she's taking classes full-time she needs to do this this is what needs to happen in her life and she's a mom single mom Mm -hmm. So, um, she's like, how am I, I, you know, how am I supposed to do self-care? I was like, what does it feel like when you pause and make eye contact with your daughter? And she was like, ah, (laughs) that feels (laughs) good. (laughs) I was like, that is self-care. That is a form of self-care. And it it only takes three seconds and you Mm -hmm. just released good hormones in your body. And that's going to help you move through the next moment, go back to your studies, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever, go back from your break, whatever you're, you need to do right now, cook dinner. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be fancy. I think that in, um, my cousin has four kids and three out of four of them, um, they all have specific developmental needs. Um, and she was just like, ah, what is, what is this self-care thing they keep telling yes. you? I <laughs> <laughs> uh, how do, how am I supposed to do that <laughs> with all yeah. of these other things going on? So I think that's probably the number one message that I try to communicate with my students is like self-care does not need to be fancy. It can be filling your water bottle every morning before you go to work. Um, it can be, it, well, sometimes it's advocacy in our field right now, um, I asked an HR professional to come to practicum so that my students could learn what their rights are at work mm-hmm. for taking breaks. Cool. Um, be- because sometimes they have to go, you know, they request a bathroom break and nobody comes. Sure. So um, it's really hard to access self-care in that context. So there are these really small, change is not going to happen quickly, right? Systemic mm-hmm. change takes a long time. So in the meantime, how are we going to care for ourselves? Right. And even in somebody who just had their fourth child, right? That is a special time. And so self-care looks different at that time than yeah. it does. Uh, and that's there's a transition, right? So when we zoom in, when we go into transitions like that, we should look at our self-care practices. Something that worked like when we went back from COVID to the centers, we I was like, whoa, deep breathing is not going to feel the same as it did before because we're wearing masks now. And that might actually activate your nervous system instead of calm your nervous system to take try to take a deep breath with a mask on. So we had to think of other ways to care for ourselves um, during that time in the classroom.
0: A couple of things that jump out at me. One, like it's seasonal, right? Like what self-care looks like is different in different seasons. There have been seasons for me where self-care meant like, all right, I'm gonna like put, 30 minute workouts on my calendar. And right now self-care looks like, okay, after stage goes down, can I get a 10 minute like stretch in, (laughs) you know, like, what does that look like? Or I started doing, um, (laughs) I, when I, Go to the bathroom. I, I'm I what's helpful for me is habit stacking, which we talk a little bit about in the book, but taking a habit that you already have, like for me, going to the bathroom seven billion times a day. When I do that, I know that's something I don't have to build in that's new, that's already happening. What can I stack on top of that habit while I'm in the bathroom that's gonna be nurturing for me? And I was in a habit of like being on a call with someone on my team and like go and pee or I'm going to um, do like respond to an email or a text or listen to this thing or I'm on Instagram or whatever while I'm peeing and I was like what if I just make it so that whenever I'm going to the bathroom I don't bring my phone I'm not on my phone and I just breathe while I pee Sometimes it's 30 seconds, you know, like not huge, but like I'm just, and I put my hand on my heart and my hand on my belly and I will just take deep breaths. And a lot of my bathroom trips involve the toddler, like he's around, right? And so it's not like a Zen trip to the spa, (laughs) like I'm just taking deep breaths. And he started saying, what are you doing mama? And I told him like, oh, this helps my body feel calm. And he would ask me like, your body's not calm. And I was like, oh, right now I actually feel calm. And when I pause and I take deep breaths, it helps me feel calm. When things feel really out of control for me, it helps me feel calm easier. And so it just started, and that was kind of it for him. He was like, cool, check, whatever. That's enough information. And I just kept doing it. And then recently he uh, was going through like a toilet learning process. He's now in undies full time, um, but he, would be in the bathroom and he would have his hand on his chest and his hand on his belly and Zach was like what's going on my husband and I was like all right you don't join me in the bathroom every time I go to the bathroom but I've been doing this and then Sage brought it into like part of his not every time he goes to the bathroom but sometimes he would just like pop his hand on his chest his hand on his belly and he would take deep breaths um and I was like yeah I guess he just exposed this is one of my self-care practices uh but it's little but it adds up for me. Like I think so often with self-care, it can feel inaccessible because it feels too big. Like you need a 30 minute run. You need to be able to carve out time to be alone. You need to be able to carve out time to connect with this person or that person or go to dinner with a friend or it feels like it's too much that you are expected to do. And when I made that shift for myself of like, what can you do in 30 to 60 seconds at random points throughout the day? that felt way more accessible for me and then sometimes I even got to do something for five minutes or like my 10-minute stretch at the end of the day that 10 minutes is the longest most concentrated self-care time I have and it's 10 minutes and it's once a day and like that's the season I'm in Mm. right and like that that's okay it won't always be that I only have 10 minutes to take care of myself and right now that's okay and so looking at like throughout the day, what can I do in 30 seconds, in 60 seconds to nurture myself, filling my water, boundaries, boundaries are huge for me for self-care. Mm.
3: Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those
2: of us that want to be clutter-free.
4: Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks.
2: You've come to the right place.
0: can't have you sit on my lap right now I would love to read a book with you sitting next to me um or that I'm gonna put my phone on silent and put it away so that I don't have to talk to anybody else or Mm -hmm. deal with another thing Mm -hmm. (laughs) or whatever like what do boundaries look like for me or that allow me to take care of myself um and then up pop those parts of me they're like but you need to help everybody all the Uh, time yeah
1: yeah, so right there's okay, notice that voice, yeah. <laughs> right? And just allow yourself to to continue to care for yourself anyway. I remember a time, so I had a program in my home, so it was me and six kids for 40 hours a week. And um, there was, I didn't feel good, but I knew if I didn't, I didn't feel sick enough. If I worked at a center and I knew there was a sub, I would have called out. But knowing um, that I had six families need to go to work today and I'm it. I was like, okay, I can do it. I can get through. And during nap time, two of the kids didn't fall asleep. And I was like, uh, So I was like, you know what? This is a child safe space. I am going to do a little legs up the wall. And I was like, guys, and one of them was my very active goddaughter. Um, and the other was a child who was pretty chill most of the time. And I was like, guys, I am going to do this thing. I'll show you what it looks like. I'm gonna lay here. I'm gonna put my legs up the wall. And I'm going to, they knew what what the timer on my phone was for other purposes. Yeah, sure. I was like, I'm going to set my timer for four minutes and I'm not going to move. I'm going to stay here the whole time. You could do it with me if you want, or you could play. It's up to you. You just have to stay in this room. And they were like, okay, they wanted to do it with me. And sure. I was like, okay, great. I was like, okay, guys, whenever you want to go play, you just go play. No problem. Like, I'm going to stay here, but you can go play. They both stayed the whole time until my timer went off. And then everybody was like, we were just feeling good together. (laughs) I I could not believe my two and a half year old goddaughter stayed still for four minutes. (laughs) I I just didn't know that was going to be possible. I love her dearly. We're both (laughs) movers and shakers. Um, But sometimes we we sell the kids short about what they want to do with their nervous system. Sometimes mm-hmm. they want what we want, what our nervous system wants, right? And they and most importantly, they want to be cared for by an adult with a regulated nervous system
0: that mm-hmm.
1: feels safe to them. So that, you know, it's worth testing out some strategies and making sure that um, the kids can try them too.
0: Yeah, I dig that. And and I think you're right, they do surprise us. I found in this first trimester. I was sick or tired and like solo parenting and I'd be like I just need to lay down that Sage would be down more than I realized to just lay down with me he wanted to snuggle or um, you know we watched extra tv videos he was like this is freaking great (laughs) Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I get to watch another episode of Daniel Tiger this is the dream and I was you know like feeling guilty whatever and at one point Zach was like just curious, like what you're feeling guilty about. Sage is having a blast. Like <laughs> <Right. laughs> he's living his dream. And yeah, but it was like in that season, I needed to lay more and do a lot more things. Like we would lay down and read books at bedtime, where like normally I was sitting up with him and like I felt more engaged. And I was like, What can I access right now? I still read this book. I gotta be horizontal for it. And just yeah, it, I think realizing that it's not this like luxury that we access but how do I take care of myself throughout the day because that truly we can't access regulation if we aren't tapping into self-care throughout the day
1: Mm -hmm. and it doesn't mean we don't go back to feeling whatever you know totally stressed we were feeling after the self-care but that break for the nervous system is so important and we got to release some good hormones during that time which is really healthy for our bodies to interrupt a pattern of stress (laughs) sometimes they're just they're as stressful as you're saying you know seasons of life Um, and that's okay our bodies can withstand that especially if we pay attention to the moments where we take breaks.
0: Yeah, I dig that. All right, so we have mentioned now all five. Let's circle back to adult-child interactions to close out this circle for these tiny humans where we have a screaming preschooler whose thing has been knocked down yet again from a toddler who is laughing or smiling and has just knocked it down. Walk us through the phases of emotion processing here, part of the adult-child interactions, and then we'll wrap up. Okay, so
1: you mentioned that you use the word allow a lot at the beginning of our conversation. So we'll take it right back there because that's the first thing and sometimes it's one of the hardest things is to just be like oof this is really hard for me to just allow you to experience that thing that's really hard for me and seems to be really hard for you. (laughs) Um, Okay. So allow, and that means allow ourselves to feel whatever we're feeling about it. So we can just take care of our nervous systems and then be present with the child. So once we can do that, okay, I see me, I see you, let's move through this. And, and I'm going to stay right with you, right? Because you don't know how to do this yet. And and I I might be a learner in collaborative emotion processing or emotion processing for myself. I can be a learner and practice this with them. That's okay to not be an expert. When you're learning how to do this, you can learn together. So, okay. So now my job is to say, well, right. Remember this, this child might have, their amygdala might be firing off right now. If that's happening, I really need to just help them calm. I'm not going to gonna try to teach them emotion processing yet until they're, they can be crying still, but you know, if they're in distress, not a good time to teach skills. We'll work on just soothing them first. Um, and then once they seem, you know, not distressed anymore, and we're not distressed. <laughs> then we can say, okay, I wonder what it is you're feeling. Let's play in this space a little bit. Since you're know, since you experiencing something, let's see if we can match a word to it. Let's see if we can match a picture to it. If you have emotion um, pictorial cues like the septa in your space, then you can use that. You can also use books or that you read regularly with children um, and just offering them some symbols are you feeling sad? Oh, I see your eyebrows are scrunched. Or, I guess they're sad. It probably doesn't usually happen. That <laughs> I see your tears, right? Or like, oh, I see your hands are so tight. Um, are you feeling sad? And it doesn't matter how old they are. You can say that <laughs> to them. <laughs> Um, right? They don't need to be able to confirm for you that that's how you're feeling, but you're still asking. So they, even if they're a baby, right? You're now, your nervous systems are talking to each other on purpose. So before they were reacting to each other, now they're communicating and and they're really looking for you to to be there for them on the other side and offer this symbol. And they might respond back and they might not that you got it right. So then if if we got there we got the symbol now we're we're ready to to just settle into that a little bit okay what does that feel like um and then maybe we think hmm so over I'll just mention briefly because security happens when the adults provides it first like oh you're sad i can be comfortable with that it's okay or i might be uncomfortable but i'm i'm going to stay i'm here with you Um, So we provide that security first. Eventually, a child is going to demonstrate the security with that. They might, you know, that looks like in a different scenario. Maybe they're sad to say goodbye. They hang out at the door to say goodbye to, and they watch their parent go. We don't really need anything from you. They're just experiencing that very natural feeling. So in this situation, I'm probably going to offer that security for them. Say like, oh yeah, sadness that I have felt that before and give a little validation there as we then the child may or may not need some help from there on. So if they're still, you know, they're just like, oh, I I don't know what to do with this. Like, Mm -hmm. and that looks like I'm still, nothing's changed. I'm still staying. I'm in the same state I was when this happened. Okay. So let's look at some coping strategies. So we all learn coping mechanisms as children in order to keep ourselves safe. Um, But sometimes those don't serve us anymore. And sometimes we can be proactive. We're so lucky that we've had, we live now and we have all of this research about coping strategies that really help our nervous systems uh, and help us to actually learn skills and strategies. So that's what we want to teach next, right? So as you were saying before, Alyssa, um, not one strategy that works for this child is not going to work for that child. If it works for you, it might not work for the child. Um, So you have to, you have to build your, your strategies um library so that you can be ready to offer some different things and once you get to know the children if you're a teacher at the beginning of the year you're going to find out quickly what works and what doesn't work um, for Mm. each child and and if you're a parent you know you have your family culture to to start with Um,
0: and in our book we have a full like coping strategies toolbox we have a whole bunch of ideas and can also kind of guide you through there of like What your child might be seeking, what might help them regulate based off of other things you've noticed or observed. If you know that your kid loves to swing on swings when we're at the playground or spin around in a chair, etc., there are certain activities you can do in the moment that will give them similar input that helps them calm. So we're looking at like what regulating strategies do we have here, coping strategies. And these are also things that you might have pulled in for the, if they're in distress to like help them calm and feel safe. You may have pulled some of these in then to help them regulate as well. We do a lot in the book of like helping you figure out different approaches here. We have a lot of examples and ways that you can apply them proactively throughout the day and kind of play around with it how do they experience this what if I do that so that then when you're in these moments you know oh here are things that work for them
1: and for you too yeah exactly (laughs) right yeah so it's my go-to was always in my this was with my three to five-year-old would you like a hug I was surprised how often even when I was the source of frustration for them that they wanted a hug from me, Mm -hmm. Um, but they're getting it's not you know sometimes we're like oh they're so snuggly they love they're so affectionate, but sometimes they actually really like the feeling of Mm -hmm. somebody hugging them because they can feel where their body begins and ends. Um, so it, it, probably is also that they love and trust you as well, <laughs> but, sure. uh, but they're also getting this other thing. And, um, but some people, some kids are going to be like, no, I don't, I do sage and they, don't mm-hmm. take that personally. That's not about you. <laughs> that's about their system, right? Yeah, that, that's, doesn't it is much. hard
0: though. It's hard if there's a sensory mismatch where like, I love that perceptive input. I love touch. I love a hug when I'm upset and it's not regulating for say she loves vestibular input or some down regulations, like a sensory break. And so it was like work for me for a while. And still I have to access of like, oh no, that's what you want, Alyssa. What he wants is different.
1: Mm, yeah, <laughs> that also takes practice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and the more that you practice, the more you might even think of strategies that um, that you never would have thought of before, just because you start to see the things in your environment as resources, um, and you be, you'll learn how to use them in different ways and creative ways. We haven't listed every single coping strategy because you're going to invent coping strategies even that work mm-hmm. for your space and your culture. Um, so that that piece is a big one. Um, and it mirrors our work as adults, too. Um, and then the moving on piece is just so it's a breeze. If, we, if you did all the other things like you know, sometimes we just try to skip from allowing or, um, you know, matching up a symbol to moving on, you know, that the, the common phrase is like, I see you feel sad, but uh, and now <laughs> insert adult agenda.
0: Yes.
1: I see you feel sad, but right in this situation, we might be trying to rush the child along in their feelings. Like for us, it's like, this is really not that big of a deal. Perhaps the blocks got knocked over. We'll just build it again. Let's just build Mm -hmm. it again. No problem. We'll just build it again. But if we skipped over those other pieces they're not ready to build it again. They don't feel seen yet. They don't, they didn't know, learn how to process that and that they might need your help in order to process that before they can move on. So at the end, if you did all those other things, maybe it's like, oh, hey, do you want to build that again? Or um, would you like to ask that child to help you build it? They give them a choice too, right? About whether or not they want the other child's help.
0: Yeah. Or, or the it, conflict resolution part of like, if the other yeah. child is there to like navigate conflict resolution now and be able to turn and support that child
4: yeah. Maybe next
0: or if they had continued to spiral, I may have connected with the child whose tower was knocked down and then gone to the other child. And we talk a lot about this in the book, of like who needs your attention in this triage situation? Because sometimes it is that kid whose tower was knocked down And sometimes it is the kid who is smiling and laughing and it is potentially very triggering and it looks like on purpose and manipulative or defiant. And in actuality, it is a nervous system dysregulation response to be laughing or smiling in that moment. And they might continue to like run around and knock people's things down or hit or kick or whatever. And so then they need your attention first. And we pour into that in the book of like, who needs you? When, when do you talk about the behavior and what are different strategies for navigating this conflict resolution, whether it's, you know, that they're going to come back together or what to do instead of having that younger kid come over and say, I'm sorry. Like, what else do we do in those moments? We dive into a lot of those specifics in the book, but yeah, that phase five moving on problem solving conflict res, it is a breeze when they're regulated And I still find for myself when I'm like rushing through and not slowing down and allowing them to go through these five phases of emotion processing that I'll get to the moving on. I'm like, oh my gosh, they're just like losing it again, or they're getting ramped up again. And it's my reminder that like, okay, they aren't there yet. We're not at phase five. If if it's not a breeze to do phase five, we're not usually ready for phase five. (laughs) Um, Yes.
1: Thank you for saying that.
0: Um, that was a
1: huge learning curve for me at the end. Sometimes the child will even say they're done, mm-hmm. and but they're not. Yeah. Right? The they're like, I want to be
0: done feeling. Was, this. Yeah, exactly.
1: And I want you to go away. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah, like, right. right. They'll say that all different kinds of ways. Um, but we do, you know, we have a responsibility to stay with them and help them through to the the moving yeah. on part. And, and sometimes that is more complex and we need other yeah. people on the team um, mm-hmm.
0: to help and figure it's... out part of emotion processing, it's a huge part of it. And I think a part that we can sometimes jump over because up until phase five, we're really focusing on that regulation and emotion awareness and like learning how to be in and with an emotion without drowning in it, you know, without kind of being in quicksand. And that's a tool. There's a whole skill set there to learn. Mm -hmm. And then when we're moving into phase five, I see it as like really moving more into the social skills part. We talk about social emotional development Mm -hmm. a lot and the emotional development part is really honed in on those first four and phase five can often be more focused in that social development part. And you had mentioned at one point um, when they start to kind of calm and come out of distress and you kind of hit on this, but I want to really acknowledge that Just because you stop expressing doesn't mean you stop feeling that like once you get into a more regulated state, you can still be with and experiencing a feeling. And this is what we're helping kids learn how to do is that they can feel sad and not be overcome by sadness that you can start to regulate and be able to access more of your tools and talk about what you're experiencing, et cetera, communicate about it and still feel it. You don't, we're not trying to make a kid stop feeling. We're Mm. helping them learn how to regain control of their body and their brain to be with that feeling with intention.
1: Thank you for saying that. Absolutely. I think, yeah, we can really rush over that piece. Um, because it's uncomfortable for us. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah so we, we want to get to the end. But sometimes that middle piece is is the again, I guess that's the transition, right? The transition from big emotion to moving on is really that rich, fertile place. Like hang out there. And sometimes if you're a teacher and you have like, oh, we're supposed to be doing this curriculum today, we I was supposed to be doing this activity right now. I, that thing just got interrupted because of this. You hear those voices, right? But But hey, this moment is actually extremely rich for learning. Mm -hmm. Like this is why we're here. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We can get back to that other thing that you were planning. That was cool, too. That was important. You'll get there. Um, And this is important. This is and also just want to just touch on and we have a whole chapter on this. um, The kids who are regulated in that block scenario, they're listening. Cause they know yeah. somebody's upset. Their, their nervous systems are like, Hey, what's going on over there that they are actually learning something. When there's a big moment in the classroom, you might, when you're getting in tune with yourself and your nervous system's regulated, you might start to notice there's a hush over the room and the activity level really slows down because the nervous systems are all paying attention to what you're doing and how you are going to respond to those big emotions So those other children are actually learning and siblings are learning by listening to you be with another child who's experiencing something hard. And they actually learn how to do it with you. They can offer that to each other over time in small ways um, and in big ways when, when they get there.
0: Yeah, it's so powerful. So we dive into all of this and so much more and really concrete examples for you. We've talked a lot about what the SET method is. And we talk about not just the what, but the how in the book and help you build strategies for yourself, for your classroom, for your family, for your tiny humans, with your tiny humans Um and you can snag that at www.seedandsew.org slash book or snag tiny humans, big emotions, wherever books are sold. Uh, we have some fun bonuses for you at Seed if you snag it now. Pre-orders are Huge for authors. So pre-orders being before the book publishes. This book publishes on October 10th. And that's when it'll be shipped out to you. But if you order before then, what it does is tells different outlets like this is a topic we care about. It tells media like we need to learn more about social emotional development. This is something we care about is raising emotionally intelligent kids. It tells libraries like we want this book here. It communicates to everybody that's listening, like this topic is important. Important, so that our schools can have resources for this, uh, so these um, topics are more readily available and discussed. And discussed. And so, we have some special bonuses for you over uh, at Seed when you snag the pre-order. When you order this book, you can go back to that same page, seedso.org/book, and let us know. Give us your name and email, and we'll send you some fun goodies uh, as a little bonus, like thing you can access in this moment before the book comes out. Lauren, love you. Love doing work with you and getting to play and (laughs) am really proud of what we've created and put out there. And I, this is the most comprehensive guide I've created to raising emotionally intelligent humans. It's the most comprehensive guide I've found to raising emotionally intelligent humans in my work, in my research. And I, I'm really grateful to have been able to do this by your side and with you by mine.
1: Same, Alyssa. A lot of gratitude for
0: your presence and situativeness. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) I know, right? Like somebody the other day was like, oh, when did you do your research? And I was like, oh, the research ended in 2018. So uh, (laughs) we've been working on this for a long time. And I think that's something that I feel really proud of too. Like not only did we stick with it, but we really wanted to make sure that it was packed with data and research and um, wasn't something that was just thrown together to get a book out there and really, really proud of it and excited for it to get into folks' hands. Where can folks learn more about you, find you, connect with you outside of our book?
1: Yeah, my consulting is Engage, Feel, Think, Connect. Uh, My consulting partner is Angela Carolina Garcia, and we have a website. I think that's the best way to find us because we have links to our podcast, which is, um, which is called Sacred Reclaiming Intuitive and Teaching and Caregiving Relationships. Um, So, you can find our podcast on the website and other information about what we offer. And that is feelthinkconnect.com.
0: Awesome. And we'll link to all of that if you are like me and you are like listening while you do dishes and not able to jot things down. We'll link to all of it in our blog post if you go to voicesofyourvillage.com. It's all going to be linked there. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you, Alyssa. Thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village. Check out the transcript at voicesofyourvillage.com. Did you know that we have a special community over on Instagram hanging out every day with more free content? Come join us at seed.and.so. S-E-W. Take a screenshot of you tuning in, share it on the gram, and tag seed.and.so to let me know your key takeaway. If you're digging this podcast, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We love collaborating with you to raise emotionally intelligent humans.
4: Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them